This is Radio Parallax, a slightly different perspective from a slightly different view, with topics that include matters in science, technology, history, politics, current events, and whatever we damn well please. And now the host of Radio Parallax, Douglas Everett. Welcome to the program, our first of the new year, which is going to be a good year. Don't ask me how I know that. I just do somehow. And I have kind of a good feeling about the decade as well, which will not, I can confidently tell you, see the world coming to an end. I don't care what any charlatans are claiming the Mayans had to say about it. And I don't care what the Jehovah's Witnesses have to say or Bay Area goofball preacher Harold Camping, who's claimed that the, the world's going to actually end next year thanks to his careful recalculations. You see, he, he did make a wrong call back in about 1991 which somehow only convinces his followers that he's just that much more on the ball, somehow. Don't ask me how. No, the world's still going to be here in 2012 and in 2013. And probably even in 2036, although we're intrigued by the fact that the Russians have now said they're going to unilaterally set out to uh, knock asteroid Apophis off its current orbit if, if they need to. But let us begin this program as we like to do with On This Date in History. And speaking of things out in space, it was on January 7th, 400 years ago today, in 1610, the Galileo Galilei, through his crude telescope, spotted three of Jupiter's moons. He thought at first they were stars, but in subsequent observations observed that they, along with a fourth such little star-like object, moved with the planet. This discovery, which showed that the world didn't really work the way the church said it did, did not go over well with the powers that be. On January 7th, in 1785, Frenchman Jean-Pierre Blanchard and American John Jeffries became the first to cross the English Channel in a gas balloon. To do it, they reportedly had to jettison non-essentials, such as anchors and a non-functional hand-operating propeller, and silk-covered oars with which they had hoped to row their way through the air. They apparently even had a jettison Blanchard's trousers, which, of course, does make him not only the first man to cross the English Channel by air, but the first one to do so without pants. And frankly, that makes Radio Parallax admire him just that much more. And on this date in 1839... The daguerreotype method of creating photographs, the first practical means of doing so, was announced in France. The daguerreotype plate was difficult and time-consuming to make, but is still considered by many to be the most beautiful artistic form of photography ever developed. The method was able to capture very fine, rich detail, superb, even by today's standards. And on January 7th in 1999, a standard was set which was anything but superb, when for the second time in American history, the impeachment trial of a president began. In this case, President Bill Clinton, charged with lying under oath and obstructing justice. Congress had attempted to remove a president on only one other occasion. That was the 1868 impeachment of President Andrew Johnson. Both impeachments involved trumped-up charges by a cabal of, I'd have to say, evil Republicans. There's just no other way to put it. We were rather hard on Arnold Schwarzenegger on last week's program, we applaud the statement he made about this uh, whole impeachment fiasco of Bill Clinton when the governor said he was embarrassed at that point to be a Republican. Considering the standards of dishonesty and judicial malfeasance we've seen uh, over the past, uh, well, the last uh, two administrations, 
The idea that 11 years ago we would impeach a president for lying about an extramarital affair is, is mind-boggling. Our quote of the day comes from Galileo, who said, All truths are easy to understand once they are discovered. The point is to discover them. Our quote of the day comes from the immortal Jack Benny, who once said, I don't deserve this award, but I have arthritis and I don't deserve that either. Our joke of the day comes from a Doonesbury strip from earlier this week, where an arch-conservative B.D. is having an argument with his wife. Says B.D., Palin can be tutored, boopsie. She's got lots of time to prepare. It's not an SAT test, B.D., she replies. You can't just spend the first 40 years of your life being woefully ignorant of the world and how it works and then announce you're prepared to become president because someone crammed you full of bullet points. B.D.'s reply in panel four, why not? Bush did. Our stat of the day, according to the New York Times, fewer than one-third of young adults can calculate interest or define inflation. The Times added, the young people most likely to be financially literate are college-educated males from families owning stock and retirement savings. Ladies and gentlemen, we've said it before, we'll say it again. We're living in a country full of math incompetence because of how it's taught. Fewer than one-third of young adults can calculate interest, and we want to bring algebra into the eighth grade. How many times has this happened to you? The clerk says it's four seventy-seven. You hand him a $5 bill and add two pennies, and they look at you like a deer in the headlights. Now, I don't know about the reading and the writing, but I know we've got to work on the arithmetic a little bit harder. Our bonus stat for today's show is as follows. According to GQ magazine, 70% of Hollywood films depict firearms, with gun manufacturers paying handsomely to have their products worked into scenes. Remember seeing Jay Leno as a stand-up comic many years ago, and he summarized television programs with the following one-liner, with the following sample of dialogue. For God's sakes, Bob, drop the gun! Which is about right. Let's see if we can't jump right into the good, the bad, and the ugly. It was a good week a couple of weeks back for stand-up comics everywhere. When it was revealed by O.J. Simpson's friend, Norman Pardo, that the disgraced former NFL star supplements the time he spends uh, where he's serving a term for uh, robbery and assault, pumping iron, reading Pulp Fiction, watching wrestling, and the part we all like best, and counseling his fellow inmates on, rela- on race relations and anger management. Pardo said Simpson initially had issues with his cellmate, a white supremacist, but he finessed the situation and the two men now get along. Heartwarming, isn't it? It was, on the other hand, a bad week for government revenue generating when, in Massachusetts, a book overdue for 99 years was returned to the New Bedford Public Library. Apparently, a man named Stanley Dudek found the 1894 volume, Facts I Ought to Know About My Government and My Country, while cleaning out the home of his mother, who passed away 10 years ago. To their credit, New Bedford's librarians waived the $360 fine. It's definitely one for the better late than never file. And finally, it was kind of an ugly week for the (laughs) better late than never philosophy. 
when it was revealed that the family of a 19th century English missionary who was eaten by cannibals on the Pacific island of Aromongo received a formal apology from their descendants. Yes, apparently the Reverend John Williams was clubbed and shot with arrows shortly after stepping ashore on the Pacific island in 1839. And last month, 18 of Williams' descendants traveled to the island to participate in a reconciliation ceremony. It's kind of a shame O.J. Simpson wasn't there to help smooth things over. But you know, kind of ugly, but I guess it is better late than never. All right, from the you're kidding me file, we have the following item. What's described as a lawsuit unlikely to qualify as a shocking revelation to the world. A woman who was fired by Playboy Enterprises claims Hugh Hefner prefers younger women. Jennifer Lewis, a former guest relations coordinator for the Playboy Mansion, says she was fired after she turned 47 to be replaced by a 33-year-old woman. The lawsuit claims Lewis, who is suing Hefner and other Playboy bigwigs, gave the defendants over 10 of the best years of her life. The story does have something of a local angle. When Hefner met his girlfriend, Barbie Benton, then a UCLA freshman, I believe, the Sacramento native resisted Hefner's advances by saying she didn't go out with anyone over the age of 24. As the legend has it, and I'm sure it's true, Hefner replied, well, neither do I. And uh, like everybody else, Radio Parallax is blown away by the Burj Dubai, the world's tallest building. Though it is a freestanding building, it has broken all height records. Smashes them, in fact. The building is over a half mile high. The world's previous record had been a television mast in North Dakota. It's apparently a thousand feet taller than the second tallest freestanding building in the world. This is certainly overshadowing the news from Dubai that the place uh, appears to be having some financial problems. Has anyone been to Dubai and seen this thing? If you have, please give us a report. Drop us a line at info at radioparallax.com. We've talked in this program in the past about the uh, the evils of high-fructose corn syrup. Biochemically, it's probably not that much different than table sugar. It's just that it's made from corn, whose price has been kept deliberately low through government policies and is thus so cheap that it's it's used to sweeten just about everything. Of course, there's also the small matter of the fact that it tastes vile. So we're delighted to report in this program that the good people that make... uh, Paul Newman's brand of lemonade have switched over. They proudly advertise on the side of the uh, the carton that it contains no high-fructose corn syrup. And man, I gotta tell you, the product just tastes a lot better. I hope this will start a trend uh, in the juice industry. Remember when I was a kid and I first tasted guava juice? I thought it was the best-tasting drink I'd ever experienced. And I think I still, (laughs) and I, I think it still is. Except that uh, some years ago they started making it uh, with high-fructose corn syrup, which makes it very resistible. Anyway, Paul Newman was noted for being very concerned about the environment, wanting to do the right thing, and apparently uh, uh, the company he leaves behind is continuing in that direction, and we think they ought to get a round of applause. Anyway, on the flip side of uh, people out uh, in merchandising doing what we think is the right thing, we have the story of these gold coins they sell on late-night television, which are, frankly, masterpieces of uh, 
misleading advertising. They take my breath away. Apparently, some of these, uh, these, these token or medallion manufacturing corporations have gotten their hands on some gold, I guess sold by the government, which allows them to call it U.S. government-issued gold coins. They, ex- they explain how the gold is pirated to the .9999 level and then give you the weight of the coin, mentioning only in passing that <laughs> there's a few milligrams of gold basically blown onto the surface of these tokens. The tune of like 30 to 50 milligrams of gold, which, which they're selling to you for 20 bucks. If you do the math, which of course Americans are apparently not very good at, you'll find that you're getting a buck or two's worth of gold on a token. Which, in case you're wondering how they're making money selling these things at 19.99, well, that's how, ladies and gentlemen. All right, here's an item we find pretty irresistible, although I guess it would come out of the goofball file. But according to that not necessarily reputable magazine, Maxim, a man named Barry Cooper, who used to bust pot smokers, is now, has now switched sides. He used to be an officer with the Texas Department of Public Safety and head of a 15-county drug task force. Cooper made hundreds of drug arrests in his day, but in 1995, he said he tried smoking pot. Said the author of the article, Melba Newsom, he liked it. A lot. And not surprisingly, his police career soon began to unravel. Cooper was quoted as saying, I absolutely loved what marijuana did to me. It made me laugh so hard I felt my ribs were going to break. Within three years, he'd not only left the force, he'd begun proselytizing against anti-pot laws and carving out a career as the ex-narc who switched sides in the war on drugs. Says Cooper, prohibition doesn't work. The war on drugs is really a war on people. He now makes a living as an expert witness in drug search cases and has produced a series of DVDs that offer tips on evading searches and hiding your stash. He sometimes apparently... uh, plays old news footage of himself boasting about his drug busts to remind him of what he considers now to be his wayward years. Says Cooper, I'm always embarrassed when I see those clips. What an ass. And uh, while California is headed toward uh, having a ballot initiative in the November election that will uh, put the issue of the legalization of cannabis before the public, a ballot initiative that the preliminary polls say will win, We've been sitting on a news story since last uh, summer from Rob Hotekinen from McClatchy News Service, noting that uh, after California legalized medical marijuana, apparently a man named Charles Lynch opened a cannabis dispensary down in Morro Bay after getting a license from the city and joining the Chamber of Commerce. That was in 2007. Unfortunately for Lynch, apparently in 2008, U.S. drug enforcement agents raided his business. At the time the article was written, Lynch was uh, facing a minimum of five years in prison uh, in federal court in Los Angeles. And our check of a website uh, titled Friends of CCL for Charles C. Lynch turns out that he wound up getting sentenced to one year and one day in the federal pen for opening and running a marijuana dispensary. So it looks as though we really do need to have that ballot initiative uh, next November. Well, I would be the first to admit that uh, the widespread use of cannabis does have some cons. As a doctor, I can say that, uh, that most physicians I know agree that cannabis has a role to play as medicine. Of course, there's still a lot of cops out there that want to play doctors, such as 
former state attorney general and currently Gold River Republican Representative Dan Lundgren, member of the House Judiciary Committee. He was quoted in Mr. Hotekinen's article as saying that uh, the Obama administration should back a large-scale research project on medical marijuana before changing U.S. policy. He questioned in the article whether the administration can pick and choose which laws to enforce. Well, Congressman Lundgren, I have to point out to you that by the very nature of the legal system, one has to pick and choose which laws to enforce. Sounding a more uh, sane viewpoint was, uh, was Lundgren's fellow Republican representative, Tom McClintock of California's 4th District, who said he applauded the federal government's decision to step aside in the prosecuting of marijuana offenses, at least offenses related to personal use. Said Tom McClintock, I think wherever you stand on marijuana laws, it's clearly a state's decision to make. And the people of California made it. They never believed the federal government had the right to regulate intrastate commerce. Anyway, for more information about this case, we refer you to www.friendsofccl.com. And I have to say, we do have to give the governor an attaboy on this one as well. Last summer, Governor Schwarzenegger called for a debate in California on whether it might finally be time to legalize and tax the sale of marijuana. Commenting on the drug war in general, The Economist last March said that prohibition has failed, legalization is the least bad option. Noted the business-oriented British publication, Far from reducing crime, prohibition has fostered gangsterism on a scale that the world has never seen before. According to the UN's perhaps inflated estimate, the illegal drug industry is worth some $320 billion a year. In the West, it makes criminals of otherwise law-abiding citizens. The current American president could easily have ended up in prison for his youthful experiments with blow. It also makes drugs more dangerous. Addicts buy heavily adulterated cocaine and heroin. Many use dirty needles to inject themselves, spreading HIV. The wretches who succumb to crack or meth are outside the law, with only their pushers to treat them. But it is now countries in the emerging world that pay most of the price. Even a relatively developed democracy, such as Mexico, now finds itself in a life-or-death struggle against gangsters. American officials, including a former drug czar, are publicly worried about having a narco state as their neighbor. It's a subject worth talking about in this won't be the last time we do it. Well, that same issue of The Economist, by the way, which was March 7, 2009, had a six-page article about uh, the drug trade. Worth taking a look. It's probably online. It's time now for a break. Listening to Radio Parallax, I'm Douglas Everett. We're going to talk science topics in our second segment, so don't go away. 